0: Welcome to PodRocket. I'm Kate, the producer of PodRocket. With me hosting today is Paul. Hello, Paul. How's it going? Hi, Kate. Good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And joining us as a guest today is Faraz Abukadijay, the CEO and co-founder of Socket.dev. Hi, Faraz. How's it going?
1: Going great. Thanks for having me here.
0: Um, Faraz is also the creator of WebTorrent, StandardJS, and Wormhole. We covered Wormhole in an episode of Potter Rocket back in June. If you have not looked into WebTorrent, Standard.js, Wormhole, or our podcast on Wormhole, you should definitely do so. Um, we will include the links in the show notes. Uh, but our episode today, we are going to cover Socket.dev, a new security company that can protect your most critical apps from supply chain attacks. Um, for Ross, can you just lead us into what is Socket.dev?
1: Yeah. So socket.dev is a tool that developers can use to protect their apps from supply chain attacks. And um, supply chain attacks are basically they're attacks against open source code uh, that can result in malware or other unintended code being added to an open source package. And we've unfortunately seen kind of a big trend uh, in the last few months and years of an increase in these supply chain attacks. Oftentimes, you'll see you know these headline news stories about a package being compromised or hijacked. Uh, maybe the maintainer reused their password on another site, uh, so some bad actor gets control of the package, and suddenly the newest version of the package contains some additional code. And so that's really you know that's called a supply chain attack, and that's what Socket was designed to protect against.
2: So was uh, Socket sort of like born out of its own volition, or did you? get into that from another project or did it come to you in the middle of the night in a burst of recognition or yeah how did you come up with the idea for socket
1: yeah so it's funny cuz i uh, you know i've been an open source maintainer for i don't know 8 9 years now and so i've been kind of at the front lines of seeing how open source is made and there's always been kind of this this element of of discomfort i've had with kind of the way that we we do things you know every time I run NPM install on my computer and I see the number of dependencies that are coming down, <laughs> you know, and getting installed on my machine, it's uh, it's always made me feel a little bit uncomfortable, you know, um, because that means that, you know, I'm trusting all these different packages and all these open source maintainers. And obviously most maintainers are good, myself being, being a maintainer, obviously. I know that most people have good intentions, but what the issue is really just the number of, uh, packages getting installed in an average app has just gone up so much in the last few years you know e- you know even a hello world app often will have a thousand dependencies And so when you have that much code it's obviously really hard to audit it and the number of packages that are changing is very high because there's always new versions being released there's always new stuff coming out and um, you know as that has that has as our ecosystems have gotten like more complicated in this way I just, uh, I've always felt a bit of discomfort around just kind of like, I'm running this, this install command on my computer, and it has all my data on it, it has my personal files, my tax returns, you know, like all my personal information, if one of these packages was compromised, it could, you know, it could do whatever it wanted on my machine. And so it's it's been kind of a fear in the back of my mind for as long as I can remember as a maintainer. Uh, but then in, you know, in 2018, it really kind of came to the fore with this attack called event stream that really I think grabbed headlines and kind of woke everyone up to the to the threat of this uh, this problem um, and so we can get a little bit into how how that particular attack worked i mean it is from 2018 but it is actually one of the most interesting supply chain attacks uh against npm but anyway so that's kind of that's kind of been always there and then um and then you know where where the need for socket really became clear was when we were building Wormhole, uh, and if you go back to the episode that Kate mentioned where we talk about it, you know you you'll know that Wormhole was is basically trying to be the most secure way to send files uh, online, you know f- using a web browser. Uh, so it it it's it's a web app designed to enable people to send files, but without the web app seeing the files at all. So the web app has no idea what you're sending. It doesn't want to see your files. We can't see your files. It uses end-to-end encryption. To enable that, and uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of things we did to make that web app as secure as we could. Um, I I think some of it we we get into a little bit on the pod on the previous podcast that Kate mentioned. But um, you know, as we were building it, and we were doing all these things to make it really secure, it became clear to us that you know if we aren't looking at our dependencies if we don't know what's in our dependencies and we're not, we're not carefully vetting them, then we're really rolling the dice with our user security. And it it just felt like really the next thing we should do to try to improve wormhole security and take it to the next level would be to come up with a plan for how to actually make sure our dependencies are secure. And so that was kind of the thing we, we started asking around. We said, you know, what are, what are other companies doing that care a lot about security? You know, what is, you know, what are, what are the, what are the best practices in this space? And what we kept hearing back from people was, well, you know, you can install one of these vulnerability scanners that will tell you if you have, like, a known vulnerability in your code, uh, if you have a CVE in your code, uh, so something like a -a Dependabot or a Sneak, right? But what... What we realized was those don't actually address the fear that we had, which is a supply chain attack, which is very, very different than than this known vulnerability problem. You know, a known vulnerability is when a maintainer makes a mistake, uh, accidentally introduces a bug, and what we were really concerned about, and what you're seeing in the news a lot more, and, and you know, with these high-profile attacks, is, is a supply chain attack, which is a very different. It's where malware is intentionally added to a package, and if you want to detect that, you need a completely different approach than than being able than you know than just looking up in a database to see if there's a known vulnerability filed for for this project because that's very reactive and what you need to stop a supply chain attack is actually very proactive. You need to be able to know that. This code that was, you know, published yesterday that no one's looked at yet that you're about to install, right? That you need to be able to kind of scan that and know what is it going to do, what are its capabilities, what are its behaviors, you know, what servers is it going to talk to, what files is it going to read, what is it going to do to your computer, um, and and to be able to proactively detect suspicious things in packages. And so that's what we ended up realizing we had to just go and build ourselves because it didn't exist. And that's what Socket is.
2: So it's really less of a static analyzer of a given body of code. And it's more of like understanding how things are linked, built, where they're sourced, and how that can have certain implications on everything downstream that you use with that.
0: It's kind of like an intelligent,
2: yeah. Um, So one thing that I'm kind of wondering about is you mentioned, okay, we were building this wormhole. We really wanted our users to be secure. So these issues came to us. So Mm -hmm. the thought process there is kind of like, okay, we could have it in secure package in our code that could have like some known vulnerability, right? That could do that. Another fear you talked about is, and I feel this too, when you do NPM install and it's like this black hole gets created that everything could sink into that you'll, ne- <laughs> that you'll never like traverse. Or, and you're just like, God, let's what's get getting, what's getting on my computer. The, these are two different types of attacks. There's one that's attacking you, the local guy, one's attacking the customers. And I'm wondering like, do you have any lay of the land about what's going on out there um because i know there was also faker js right where that mm-hmm. that whole debacle came out and the, and the package became unusable and stuff so yeah is it mostly like home attacks or are you more concerned about what gets shipped to users are you concerned about maintainers removing their code
1: um or is it really yet to be seen so we have very concrete things we can look back on in the last year and, and look at as examples of you know of what what, you know, what are the kinds of attacks that are happening right now? So, you know, you mentioned one in January, so we can talk about that one first. So in January, literally, you know, just a couple months ago, uh, this person who is a maintainer who had, I think, 100 million downloads of his code, Um, he had, in particular, two projects that were really popular. One was called Colors, and the other was called Faker. And he just kind of woke up one day and decided that he wanted to sabotage his own code, uh, so he just, uh, you know, decided to add malicious code to his projects that would print out a bunch of gibberish Unicode characters and kind of it even printed out some conspiracy theories and other things like that into the into the terminal. Uh, and also had like wild true loops that would just kind of infinite loop your program. So, you know, who knows what his motivations were? I think, I think he. Epiphany. Sorry. Yeah.
2: He had a, a vision or epiphany. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I know it's 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 really unfortunate. I don't know, you know, uh, w- exactly what happened there. There's a lot of different opinions and without getting into all the reasons for it, like the the kind of point is that, you know, this is this is actually an interesting case because it's actually the maintainer themselves doing it, which which uh it's actually very interesting because a lot of the proposals that people kind of always talk about when they're when they're talking about security involve things like well, what if we just did two-factor authentication, right? Or what if we just did code signing, right? But um and those are all good things we should do those too, but uh, but in this case, because it was the maintainer themselves sabotaging the code, like none of those things would have actually done anything because they would have obviously typed in the 2FA code or or signed it themselves. And so, um, so but yeah, that's one example where, you know, the, 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 these, this code that had hundreds of millions of downloads that people were had relied on for years, just suddenly one day a new version came out with completely different behavior. You know, it's suddenly just just not doing what it says on the box anymore. It's doing all this extra stuff, right? And... Uh, for several hours, anyone who was unlucky enough to install this would have this happen to their to their computer. And, uh, and, you know, even big com- a ton of big companies that were are using these libraries either directly or indirectly. And so like, for example, the Amazon uh, cloud development kit tool, which is like a CLI tool. It depended on uh, one of these, I think, colors, and so it just. I any, anyone who used, who installed it that day and tried to use it was just getting all this, this, this junk getting printed into their terminal, and everyone thought that Amazon itself was hacked. When really it was just like, no, no, Amazon CLI was has a dependency on this on this uh, project that was uh, using a like a loose version range, and so it just automatically pulled in kind of whatever the the you know the latest patch version was of this code, and so that's what um, that's kind of what happened. Uh, so. So yeah, that's like where one type of attack. And then I kind of I just mentioned one other one that happened uh, just a few months before that. Back in October, there was uh, a project called UA Parser JS, which is uh, I would say this is kind of more the typical attack that you see these days. So um, the way that what happened with that pa- package was this. So this is a thing that's been around for ten years. UA Parser JS is very popular. Uh, I think it has thirty million download or was it seven million downloads a week uh so yeah a little a little over a little like basically around thirty million downloads a month and uh you know very widely used it's used by react native it's used by basically a whole bunch of stuff uh that you have either heard of or 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 use but what happened was uh on October fifth uh on a Russian hacking forum, somebody made a forum post talking about uh basically it was said. You know, uh, I, I'm selling an NPM account. It has more than 7 million installs every week. Uh, uh, and uh, there's more than a thousand dependencies depending on this. Uh, the account doesn't have 2FA turned on and I have the login, you know, email and the password. Um, and I'll sell it to you for uh, $20,000. And this just got posted on October 5th. And uh, a couple weeks after that, on October 22nd, uh, so UA Parser JS had three malicious versions get published uh, all at the same time um and uh we don't know for sure that those two th- events are connected but it's very suspicious because ua parser js has exactly 7 million downloads <laughs> a week uh so it's it's almost certainly that that was the that was kind of the the pl- the way that it got compromised and so yeah so these three versions got published and um for about 4 hours anyone who installed those versions would have a cryptocurrency miner get downloaded to their computer and run to mine the, the monero cryptocurrency uh, for the for the attacker, obviously, not for not for you. Not for You're the, right, the yeah. <laughs> for the for the attacker. And then uh also on Windows they had this extra um attack that they did where they would steal all the passwords from about a hundred different programs on the computer um and uh, send them send the them to the attacker. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was, it was it was like really bad, right? Like like just not you know, not something you would ever want to run on your computer, you know, and you can see how it's like, you know, it's just like you know uh, Kind of targeting people who, like anyone who just typed in npm install um, ua-parser-js during that four-hour window, would would be automatically downloading the latest version, which was the compromised version, right? And anyone who di- wasn't using a package lock file would also be compromised. Uh, and so um there were, you know, tens of thousands of people who installed it during this this period, uh, and then eventually the community kind of caught wind of it because with an attack like this, it's actually not that sneaky. With with uh, with a cryptocurrency miner, usually you'll see like 100% CPU utilization, you know, your computer just oh, right. chugs to a, chugs to a halt, you know, and you're like, what's going on? Why is my battery running out? And then people quickly figured out, okay, you know, it came from this package, and it got removed. But um, you see how it's very reactive, people kind of like, are just like, I guess we just install it and see. And then if something bad happens, we try to get it taken down. And it just, you know, there's something wrong with this right. approach, in, in my opinion, like- it just feels very, very reactive.
2: Trying to keep up with what's going on so mm-hmm. how do how does your product address this like what what's the what are some of the main ways that you decided to tackle these problems and provide a unique value proposition for developers having open source
1: mm-hmm. well, so if you look at these attacks, they all have kind of common themes, common uh, techniques that the attackers use so One thing that you'll see in about 60% of supply chain attacks against NPM is that once the attacker has control of the package, they will add an install script, which uh, is this feature that's kind of specific to NPM, um, and you don't really see it in too many other package managers. But it basically lets a package say, whenever somebody installs this package, please uh, run this script uh, at install time and it has some legitimate uses um it's often used this feature is often used for compiling native code so if there's if you're using a javascript package that has like a c component that needs to be compiled uh or um or maybe some files that need to be you know transpiled or something like that you can do it in a in an install script uh step um, uh you'll often also see this install script used to print out like uh almost like a little bit of spam in the terminal that kind of says like you know, um, please uh, donate to our project. Um, you know, or or stuff like that. So that those, those, yeah. And I mean, those often used uh, install scripts as well. Um, and so I think those are actually disabled now, though, as far as like the output isn't isn't shown anymore by the latest versions of npm. Um, but anyway, um, the point is that so these scripts have some legitimate, you know, somewhat legitimate uses, especially for compiling code to make you know to make native um, modules work, but um, when an attacker takes over a package, and they add an, you know, and, and they're trying to decide how do they want to kind of deploy their their payload, um, it makes sense to put it in an install script because it will just run automatically right away, and it just makes the attack like more more effective because it just means anyone who installs it is going to immediately um, be affected, even without having to require or import the module. Um, and so, um, and so, one thing you can you might imagine is well, hey, like. You know, how, like, what if we just looked at modules, and if they suddenly just add an install script, like out of nowhere, like for for years they've never used one, and then suddenly today they're using one, right? That seems like pretty suspicious or pretty noteworthy, uh, and so maybe we just detect that, and um, whenever whenever um, you know the capabilities of a package have changed in this way, where you know the the kind of behavior of it or or what it, what it's trying to do has changed significantly, we could just warn the user. Um, and and it's almost like you can think of like a smartphone app, right? If you install a smartphone app and it wants to access your contacts or your camera, uh, suddenly for the first time, it doesn't just get to do it because you installed the app a couple months ago. It's like, no, this, it wants to use your camera for the first time. You've never allowed it to before. And now it has to ask you. And if you say yes, it will get to, and if you say no, it won't, it won't get to. So the user's in control. So that's kind of what we're, we're kind of trying to do here is if a package, you know, um, we want to basically tell the user when they install a package, what does it do today, right? So what is its behavior? What servers does it talk to? Does it read the? Does it use files on the file system? Does it have an install script? Um, you know, and the user can then decide to proceed with the installation or not. If they decide to proceed, then great, you know they can they can install it. Everything's fine. But then if in a couple months in the future the package's behavior changes and now suddenly it wants to do more things, well you know, we, we basically want to warn them about that change and allow them to have a decision you know, to be able to make a decision if they want to take that change or not. So, you know, that's kind of the idea. So we, we sort of just looked at what are all the things that the different, the different supply chain stacks did. And, uh, and, and then we built them into a tool that could detect when those changes happen to a package.
2: So it seems like, you know, there's obviously some manual intervention and in like human processing needed to like look at certain warnings and errors and sort of, Allow things through, not allow things through. So, um, where do you kind of draw the line about? All right, you're a developer. I'm install. I'm gonna hit npm install. I don't want to spend two hours like doing a bunch of stuff to get my packages installed. So, how do you guys like think about that? Is it really quick at the beginning? Is it, does it require a lot of overhead? Where do you draw that line?
1: So, I think every team is gonna have kind of different, um, different risk tolerances. So, if you think about like the most paranoid teams you know people building like end to end encrypted messaging apps or banks right or even companies like google they they have already today they they have really really um thorough processes where to introduce any open source dependency into the code base requires the security team to do a full audit of that open source project and then to sign off on it and that's what like all the kind of the most the, the big companies and the really security sensitive companies are already doing today and then you have like on the flip side, which is like what mo- where most companies are, is they just basically do nothing. <laughs> it's just like hope for the best, run npm install, and kind of like it's mostly things are mostly fine most of the time, and like life is life is too short. But you don't have time to audit all this stuff, and uh, and it just hasn't been like a like a hasn't been very easy to address, and so people mostly are just kind of burying their head in the sand and like it's not a lot really of resources, yeah,
0: yeah, it's a lot of resources, and you
1: need skills too. I mean, to be able to have you know to have um, think about it like if you if you are if you were tasked with auditing some package like react like you have to I mean there's a lot of code to read there's a lot of dependencies to look at right and it's just like what do you, where would you even start right so there's just it just feels overwhelming to people uh, and so that's where most people are that's where we were with wormhole you know even though we cared a lot about security we were a two person team so I mean all we could really do was try to pick good dependencies uh, from the beginning and just kind of try to pick people who maintainers who whose reputations we trusted right um, and just try like try to do what we could, but really like we were still pretty vulnerable to, you know, that maintainer losing their password, that and then their packages getting compromised, or the maintainer going rogue or or whatever, right? We we're still vulnerable to all this stuff and we we're just hoping, hoping for the best. So so like to answer your question, like Socket tries to do something kind of in the middle of those two extremes. It says, look, the developer time is very uh is a very like precious resource. People only have a very limited amount of time to spend auditing their dependencies, right? And right now they're, they're spending basically no time doing this. So what we want to do is say, if we have a really high confidence that something about this package has changed, and it's, um, it's just so suspicious. And so and it's, and it's rare enough, right, that, we, that you know, that, that it's, it's worth a look, then what we want to do is basically surface that to the developer's attention, and have them take a take a quick look at that. So you know, an example would be something like an install script, like I mentioned before. If a package suddenly you know, hasn't done this for years, it's never used an install script. It's never needed an install script to function correctly. And then suddenly a new version comes out and it does. Well, we wanna make sure that that the developer reviewing that pull request, is it's made very clear. So our, our, what our GitHub uh, app will do is it will come in and leave a comment on that pull request and say, this dependency has added an install script. It's on this line, click here to see what it does um and it'll be like a big kind of a, 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 a warning right and so this doesn't happen very often in legitimate packages so we feel pretty comfortable just saying this is a thing it's rare enough that we're just going to alert it to the developer and we're going to say in this case we really think you should take a look at this right um another example is typos so actually the number one supply chain attack right now is typo squatting so maybe I should mention this typo squatting is when um a bad guy registers a package that is like one or two letters different from a popular package and they hope that people will make a typo when they're installing the package so um you know if you if you have a package that's like one or two letters off from something that gets 10 million installs every week you're just gonna probably get like a few dozens or hundreds of people to just accidentally typo your you know typo that and and, and then you'll get kind of installations i've definitely being, done it before yeah right yeah. <laughs> Or sometimes, sometimes what happens is it's not even a typo, it's actually like a, um, it's you just, you forget, because sometimes packages are like, you know, they'll, ha- they'll have like a JS at the end, or they won't have a JS at the end. So it's like, do you, is it npm install, um, you know, foo, or is it npm install foo.js, right? Or is right. it npm install node-foo, right? because. You know, so there's, there's all these different prefixes. So sometimes you'll just guess, you're like, oh, I think it's this one, you just guess, right? If you guess wrong, and the, and someone's registered that wrong one, and they have nasty code in there, then you're just like trusting, you're just running their code on your computer, right? <laughs> so like, the right way to think about NPM is NPM is basically a wiki, right? And anyone can edit any page, right? And, and so, uh, you know, like, There's no vetting process to put a package on npm so if you're just just guessing a package name then you're just going to be like you're just effectively downloading whatever happens to be there and running it and hoping for the best so it's really um, not advisable (laughs) and so that's basically that's another thing that socket can check for is we can say look like uh, this pull request adds a new dependency and what we'll do is check that that dependency doesn't look like uh, it's a typo and the way we do that is we it's very it's a very simple system we basically say is this package a couple letters off from another package and is that other package a thousand times more popular than the one you tried to install right so that's how we do it so if you if you're trying to install something and it has 100 downloads a week but the but it's there's a couple letter difference that you can make and then it'll have that 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 other package will have like a million installs a week right then we'll 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 draw that to your attention and say just want to make sure here like is this really really what you intended to install and you know of course Maybe it is, and so you can ignore it. Um, but but the developer has that information, that extra information that they that they you know hopefully find useful and then they can they can decide what to do. Because maybe maybe they did intend to install this thing. Maybe 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 it's it was intentional, but almost certainly they're at least happy that this was drawn to their attention so that, that right. especially if there's a code reviewer reviewing it, right? The code reviewer might not notice the typo and then they'll be really they'll be really sad that they didn't catch it. Uh, and so we wanna basically draw that to their to the team's attention so they can they can act on it. This almost feels like
2: um my English teacher would like go to, like you said, the Wikipedia page and be like, well, there's a new source from, uh, you know, this crazy guy. So I don't know if you can trust this anymore <laughs> with this crazy information because anybody can post there. Anybody can edit. Yeah. Um, so if there's a ton of packages, is this going to and you have to go to NPM and, and, you know, check out each one, see if there's different. Is this going to make my GitHub actions just take forever? or you know, does it run in like a reasonable amount of time? Because when I'm thinking about the amount, you're right, like a Hello World could even have a thousand dependencies. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there, do you guys do any like special sauce around caching stuff or?
1: Yeah. So we've designed Socket Socket so that um, we have this kind of data processing pipeline that we've built on our, like in our cloud. And we have a full copy of NPM and we also have, uh, this process that follows NPM. So it's sort of like anytime a new package is published, we download it. And so we're just chugging through like every, we have, we've basically, we have a system that can analyze any NPM package and then produce like this report, which contains a list of issues that we've found in the package. And uh, once we've processed a packet, a, a, a package version, we'd never need to process it again because it's, you know, it doesn't change. It's, it's an immutable, um, package, uh, you know, so so because NPM doesn't let you modify a package after it's published. So what we basically just do is like, we'll we'll process a package and we have this report and then really the GitHub action or the the app will just need to basically hit our API and ask for the report back for the package. So it's actually pretty fast process, especially if we've already processed it. Yeah. So it doesn't have to do it. it, All it does is you basically just your, it sends your package JSON to our server. So we don't even need your code. We don't want to access your code. We just, we just, what it will do is it just works by sending your package JSON, which contains the list of your dependencies to the server. And then we use that to, to look up all the issues that may exist with those, um, those package
2: versions. So you guys kind of basically have your own indexed private version of NPM. Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the other, the, it's,
1: Yeah, it's it's huge. So it's 15 terabytes of uh of disk space to store every every package and every version of every package that's ever been published. Um so it's you know it's it's you know it's it's not like a thing you could just do on your laptop. Uh but it's also right. not it's not too crazy. 15 terabytes is not that that big. Yeah.
2: Not out of the, like, I could go buy that at Walmart and always have NPM when the world ends. Like, <laughs> you know, it would, it would work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, now, you know, yeah, if you want to have NPM uh, with you at all times, you just need 15 terabytes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and the other cool thing about following NPM, like in real time and downloading every package as it's published, is that if a package gets unpublished, which uh, only happens in the case of malware being published. because like we mentioned npm doesn't really want packages being changed or, or or disappearing after they've been published so really the only situation in which you'll see a package be removed from npm is if it's outright um, malware and so what we what we do is actually we can see when npm has deleted a package um, because it disappears from the the feed they have this thing called a CouchDB replication feed, which basically tells you uh, all the changes that are being made and in real time. So when when we see that they've deleted a package, we can go and look at that package, uh, because we have the code, we downloaded it right before they deleted it. And so then we can see what's being deleted, which is actually really fascinating. Because right. it's it's all it's all malware basically. So you can just go through and see, oh wow, that was a crazy one, or oh wow, that one was like talking to this weird server, or this weird IP address, or oh this one was like you know stealing all of your environment variables, your tokens, and sending it off to this server. You can just see all of it, right? It's just it's just there. It's really cool. And in fact, have you guys? Yeah.
2: Sorry, sorry. Go go ahead.
1: I was going to say we've actually uh, have a page on the website where you can actually browse around the malware that we've uh, collected. So it's. We have basically if you go to the footer, there's a little link called Removed Packages, and if you click it, you get to go to a, basically a listing of of all the npm removed packages that we've uh, collected. There's about 700 every month that they get that they remove for malware. So you can click through and just see like what malware was published to npm today, right? And you can just see like what or what was removed today rather, not what was published today. It's what was what was removed, um, and you can you can see what what kind of attacks people are doing. It's really eye opening if you if you uh, if you have the inclination to check it out I'd recommend taking a look at it it's pretty cool.
2: That's like exactly what I was going to ask. Do you in any way like make that data available or like publish your own taxi feed or something to <laughs> to let the world know of the incoming attacks.
1: Yeah, I mean so the, these ones this feed is already stuff that's been kind of removed by NPM so it's more interesting for kind of just research purposes to like understand what are the tax people are doing and to make sure that like our analysis would have caught whatever those things were doing, right, whatever those packages were doing. But the actual, um, the kind of benefit of Socket is this proactive um, protection that we give, which which currently involves a human looking at our bot, our bot leaves a comment on a pull request, and then a human has to look at that and say, okay, we're not going to merge this, right? So we'd love to get to, and this is what we're working on, is like to get to a place where we proactively have very high certainty that something is bad and then we just like fail the CI build like we just fail the pull request and put a red x there and say like this is bad like do not update right and and uh and that I think is going to involve probably um some more advances beyond like what we've currently done like what we can do is we can tell you in an install script is added but we'd still need a human to look at that to say is this actually bad or not right so 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 it's 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 like it's it's mapping what
2: it's accessing and changing and yeah exactly
1: but it still requires a little bit of that human judgment at the end and so like we're trying to basically minimize the amount of things that we bother people with like we want we don't want to alert people if it's like Pointless noise, right? No one wants that. So we're trying to keep it really low, like really, really high signal, um, and hoping that 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 that. Therefore, if it's if it's if it's high enough signal, when one of these alerts comes in, like a human won't mind like taking a couple minutes to investigate it because it really could save, you know, save your bacon one day.
2: I mean, you're inherently solving a human problem, right? So it's it's like the semantics about what does this action mean to me. As, as a team, as, as a developer. So it's really, that's a difficult fuzzy line to sort of like draw your AI at. Like, we know that's bad. That's always going to be bad. It's very, yeah, big generalization to make. But you can certainly, I'm sure you can certainly make it like with with like the standards and the protocols and the way like things move and what they're accessing. Somebody's trying to dump all your Anv and send it to a weird server across the world
1: somewhere. It's <laughs> probably bad. Right, right. In fact, I mean, that's the thing too, like where we can detect when environment variables are being accessed for the first time, right? We can detect that an install script is being used for the first time and we can detect when a network is being used for the first time. So if you see those three at once, right? Like, and they were never used before, like we could probably just block that until a human can look at it and like have, and just just be like, no one's gonna install this for a few hours. Just We're just gonna just block this and like, and then we'll get a human to look at that. And then maybe we, you know, we as Socket can decide that, okay, we just confirmed that this is malware and then we can block it for everybody who has our GitHub app installed, right? Until we can get it taken. And that's the other thing too, we're, we, once we find something, we've already found malware a few times, by the way. We've, whenever we've done that, we've just reported it directly to NPM because we want to not only protect people who are using Socket, um, we want to just get it removed from NPM so no one else can, will install it either. So um, we, we also like just report that as soon as we find it. Thank you guys.
0: That's great. <laughs> 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 yeah, npm. <at>
2: <laughs> uh, I was just gonna ask if you see this like attack space broadening in the coming years.
1: That that was probably my last question. I hope yeah. not. I mean, I, I'm I mean I'm sad that this is happening, and I hope I didn't scare people too much. But I I, I um I hope not. I mean, uh, npm introduced two factor authentication as a requirement now for all maintainers. I think as of a couple days ago. So, um, you know, I hope that that eliminates, you know, some of, some of this, some of these hijacked packages that have happened because maintainers were reusing passwords, but, um, we still have the case where, you know, a maintainer's like computer gets, uh, compromised in their two FAs, like on the maybe it's on the same computer as them. We still have the case where the maintainer goes rogue. We still have like more, um, more, there's also attacks that happen when you, when, um, you know, as someone asks to become a maintainer, because you know, a lot of times um, that's the way open source works. Is like people will, you know, like will uh, take over projects from some from someone who's burned out or or someone who is no longer interested in working on it anymore. And um, so you're, you know, there's all these handovers or these these new maintainers being added. So that's still a risk too, even with two FA. So I think I don't know. I think there's definitely good things happening, but I also think that this is such a juicy target, and it's it's just, there's just so much impact you can have if you take over one of these packages that I think it's probably still going to be a problem in the future. Uh, So, you know, and and there's also other ecosystems besides JavaScript, like, you know, other languages where um, they have even fewer resources to monitor the registry for malware. I mean, NPM is owned by GitHub, which is owned by Microsoft, which is a very profitable company and they have, you know, a lot of resources to put into securing NPM. And we still see these problems happening on NPM. So, I mean, uh, I, I, I think other languages that, that where their registries are actually nonprofit, those uh, have even fewer funds and resources to make sure that they're, you know, scanning for proactively for malware and stuff like that. So I just think this problem is probably not going anywhere anytime soon,
0: unfortunately. Why do you think this is becoming a problem now?
1: Um, so there 's uh, the w- the way that we write software has changed, so it used to be the case that uh you know projects didn 't have thousands of dependencies. It was very you know normal I think to have maybe tens of dependencies or maybe you know just a few there 's like five dependencies, but we have today we have you know at least a thousand in most javascript apps, and so that 's one big change it just means that we're trusting more maintainers we're trusting more people and um there's just more to audit and there's more changes happening um uh kind of constantly and now i mean why like why like maybe zooming out a level like why did that happen like why why are we writing software in this weird way now that involves tons of dependencies that's a good question i mean i think um i think I think some people like to criticize JavaScript developers and say, "Well, JavaScript developers just forgot how to code, and they need to install a dependency for everything because they don't know how to write, you know, a ten-line uh, function anymore. They have to install that from npm." And I actually don't buy that. I think I don't think that uh, that that's um, that that's fair to say about JavaScript developers. I think what the kind of real reason that we install ten-line packages. Four is that um, NPM actually made it really easy to install, to deal with dependencies in a way that no package manager had done before. So if you look at something like the Python package manager, um, you know, in Python, you can only have one version of a particular package. So if you install foo version one, then um, every other dependency in your project must also depend on foo version one. If it wants to use foo, it needs to be version one, right? So, um, so every basically every dependency in the project has to agree, we're all gonna use foo version one, which means if foo, foo version two comes out uh, and I wanna update my usage of foo version two, but all the other packages out there are still using foo version one, then we've now created a situation where the user cannot install my package and the other packages because they're using different versions of foo, which is, which is that's called dependency hell it's basically a really bad place to be <laughs> It's like you you've just the, the package manager just throws up its hands and says, We do not know how to install these dependencies for you because there's an incompatibility and it just force it just breaks for the user right and so you know because of that these Python maintainers were very hesitant to add new dependencies because they don't want to create this situation for their users. So if they wanted to depend on 10 line module or 10 line package, they would, they would rather just copy paste that into their, into their package than to introduce a dependency, right? But with NPM, NPM solved dependency hell for everybody by just saying if two packages need different versions of foo, one wants version one, one wants version two, fine, just install both. Give, the first package version one and give the other package version two and like just have them both exist together. And uh, because of that, there was very little like downside to having more dependencies. It was just no cost to you to just add a dependency, at least it felt that way to people. So that's why, you know, people started thinking it was more acceptable to have a, you know, a 50 line package, you know? So I think, I think that's kind of why it started. And then, you know, and then obviously there's a lot of benefits to that. I mean, people like to like make a, you know, make jokes about left pad. I don't know if you guys remember left pad, um you know left left pad was this package that just uh padded a string with like you know spaces to the left so like if you wanted to make sure that you know the string was always 10 characters wide but you know you give it like a three character string it would just add seven spaces to the to the left so that it would be 10, 10 wide right so that's all it did right and people um you know were mocking this package because uh you know it's like why do you need this you know it's just just write the function you know it's just so simple just write it right but um and this all this all became an issue because the the maintainer of that package decided to delete it uh, one day, and uh, the whole internet broke. Th- this was before npm had. This is before npm actually. Uh, prevented people from removing their and unpublishing their code so this person just decided like to unpublish all their code and so by unpublishing this like everything literally everything broke no one could build anything because this package was just missing and so like you know every single project pretty much broke all the ci systems broke that day no one got any any work done (laughs) because of this and so and so everyone was like well, why did we all depend on LeftPad? Like, have we forgotten how to program? And there was this big, like, like uh, soul searching that happened in, uh, in the community. And uh, I think that, and then people were saying that, you know, well, they should have just, no one should have depended on this. But I actually don't think that's fair because if you actually look at, um, a lot of people were posting comments saying, here, I implemented LeftPad for you, here you go. And they were writing like one line of code and sh- showing how easy it is to implement. But almost every single person who wrote comments like that got it wrong like their implementation had some bug in some edge case that uh, the real left pad didn't have. So, you know, I would say while there's some good points and some valid, you know, valid uh, criticisms with this, you know, there's valid criticisms about how, how we do all these small modules. I would say that a lot of these people also aren't appreciating how hard it is even to get some, you know, some 10 lines of code are actually so complicated just to do that 10 lines correctly, that there's actually quite a lot of benefit to depending upon that as a dependency, because you get bug fixes, you get the improvements, you get the performance improvements over time, you just get all these benefits. So um, yeah, I don't know, I just think it's not as clear cut as some people wanted to make it seem, but yeah, I think that, anyway, back to your question, Kate, I think that's probably the reason, that's like the main reason why is basically the way we code has changed. So there's a lot more dependencies and, and uh, you know, and so um, and so uh, there's a lot more risk.
0: Super interesting. Yeah, I, we can almost have a whole nother episode on just like the, how we got here. <laughs> um, well, for us thank you. It's been great to have you on. Um, I saw, uh, so I saw Dev is hiring. Um, you know, what are the plans for, uh, that and growing the team. Maybe talk a little about that and um, what you'd like to point our listeners to, and then we'll close out.
1: Yeah. So we, um, we're we hiring. Uh, we're looking for you know front-end developers, back-end developers, security engineers, designers. We basically need uh, to, to do a whole bunch of hiring. <laughs> the team right now is five. Uh, so we've been able to build quite an awesome full featured product with just our team of 5 uh, all engineers the, the whole team is actually open source maintainers right now so we all like really like love this problem and understand it and really want to like help the community so we're we're super driven uh and um uh you know we we have funding so um you know that's another good thing we haven't announced the details of it yet but that will be coming in a couple weeks uh uh so that's also really exciting uh and um you know our our future plans are basically to make socket the best supply chain security tool uh and make it just super easy for developers to use and um so so you know we we uh we just have a whole bunch of like different integrations we need to build out cli tools right we, we only do GitHub right now. We need to support GitLab and Bitbucket and all the other ones. We wanna improve our analyses to catch even more types of bugs. We wanna do that real-time kind of proactive malware blocking that I mentioned. Um, so we need people who know about security, static analysis. Um, there's a whole bunch of really cool problems to solve uh, and uh, we are planning to just build all that stuff out in the coming months and, and years.
0: That's super exciting. Yeah, well, and we'll, uh, we'll be excited to have you back on um, to talk about Socket in the future. And uh, thank you so much for joining us for us. And we'll see you around. All right. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.